to Drilling Deep. I'm your host, John Kingston. Drilling Deep is the place at Freightways where we talk about oil, we talk about trucking, and we talk about supply chains. But since we talk about oil every week and you need to drill to get for it, to get it, we'll call, we call the podcast Drilling Deep. We're going back to what has been sort of a consistent theme around here the last few podcasts, which is supply chain technology. I'm still coming off that high from the Gartner Supply Chain Symposium back in June, and I've got another guest this week whose company provides a solution to the supply chain. He's Oleg, Oleg Janchik. He's the CIO and founder of Sleek Technologies, which describes itself as a freight procurement automation technology and data provider. Their software puts shippers and carriers together, but he doesn't consider his company a digital broker. He'll tell you why in a few minutes. But let's turn to diesel. A week ago, we were in the midst of a significant decline in the price of diesel, one which sliced 54 cents off the futures price in a matter of weeks before hitting a low on Monday. But since then, in just three trading days, prices have risen more than 30 cents. What's going on? I will tell you that the increase on Tuesday baffled me. There were no new statistics, no real news that would have suggested the market should be rising double digits. But apparently players in that market knew something the rest of us sideline observers did not, because since then, there have been numerous reports that would suggest that, yes, diesel has the, diesel's market balance has shifted, and it is time to move on higher. What's the news that would lead me to say that? First of all, we have the Thursday release of the monthly Energy inform- the monthly International Energy Agency report. The overriding theme in the report this month is that natural gas supplies in Europe are going to be very tight because of the standoff between Western nations and Russia. What the IEA sees is that a lot of applications for natural gas in Europe are candidates to be switched over to oil consumption. That oil might be in the form of fuel oil, which is a heavy product that has lost favor over the years for generating electricity, but in a pinch, certainly can be used. So that's a source of new demand for oil. And there was a terrific story by Javier Blas of Bloomberg about Germany's industrial companies moving away from natural gas and turning to oil because of the high price of natural gas. One of those industries, ironically, is refining, where the energy inputs that had been natural gas are now being shifted, in some cases, over to oil. The weekly Energy Information Administration report that came out this week on Wednesday showed only a small build in inventories in distillates. Diesel is a distillate. They showed a small build in total distillates. But the the build was nowhere near enough to get us back to the type of levels we should be at for this time of year when inventories normally build in anticipation of winter. Heating fuels are distillates like diesel, so there is a tight relationship between winter demand and diesel supplies. There are some things in the report that are positive, the IEA report, that is, from the perspective of buyers such as that Russian exports are getting near to where they were before. Again, I'm not being political here, not saying that's good, but just in terms of keeping oil prices in check, that's an important fact. Refineries are clocking along at high rates, but that's not going to continue. Fall is a heavy season for refinery maintenance. There are two ways to look at diesel prices right now. Actually, it's two ways to look at diesel prices all the time. One is the fact that if the price of crude collapses or soars, diesel is going to go up or down with it. The second is that the spread between diesel and crude is important. When the pandemic hit and the street price of gasoline fell well below diesel, people were asking, why is diesel so high compared to gasoline, compared to what I used to see? That's a function of the market spread. On the CME Commodity Exchange recently, diesel got as high as $1.70 over Brent crude. Now it's about $0.40. Cents. 
those sorts of movements are significant and are baked into that price you see on the street that's been coming down so rapidly. I would never try to predict where the price of crude is going. It's way too hard. But I can say that a lot of conditions are developing around diesel that the big decline in its relative position to crude is likely coming to an end. And the size of that spread eventually gets felt at the pump. It's just a little harder for a consumer to track. Time to move on here on Drilling Deep, as we always do. Um, it's always great to hear from somebody on the front lines of the freight markets. And today we have Oleg Janchik. He is the CIO and founder of Sleek Technologies. And when I first, uh, first of all, uh, yeah, Oleg, welcome. And uh, welcome back to Freightways, because I know you have been on some of our other media. Um, and um, when I first looked over Sleek Technologies, I quickly classified them in my head as a digital broker. Um, but they're not. Um, they would describe themselves as a freight procurement automation technology and data provider. And Oleg, first I want to ask you, what exactly is that and how is that not a digital broker? Hey, uh, thanks for having me uh, once again uh, and good to be back. Well, the, the biggest differentiator that we've got going on are, you know, maybe comprises of three parts, AI, automation, and data transparency. Uh, data transparency probably being the main one here. Um, if, if you look at the digital brokers and how the operations usually are set up, you got the arbitrage in the middle, you got the revenue part, you got the cost part going on, and then everything in the middle is kind of a black box and hidden. Uh, we don't do that. We don't try to favor a shipper or a carrier. All we're here to do is improve efficiencies in the supply chain, as well as, as allow the shipper, large shipper, to connect to the small carrier in the most efficient way, quickly and uh, transparently. All right. So let, let's try to separate you out from a digital broker. A digital broker, just like any broker at a certain point, takes possession, legal possession of the freight from the shipper and then finds a carrier for it. In your case, it sounds to me like your software tries to link them up without necessarily that that digital brokerage in between. And of course, then your revenue is is produced or your revenue flows to you by sale of the software. Is that an accurate description of what you do? It is an accurate description, except for trying part. It doesn't try, does it, right? <laughs> okay. Sorry, Sorry. I, had to, I had to say that. Uh, but yes, essentially, that's what it does, right? We do have a services offering for those shippers that are not maybe willing or they don't want to spend an additional time to maybe uh, look into the software or, or, you know, set appointments and things of that nature, right? In that case, we have a services team that can support that. But they can also, but they also can buy software as a standalone package, and uh, therefore not have anything to do with us at all. So the, um, the 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 software is sold to shippers. Would a carrier uh, pay for this service, or you just want them in there in the uh, ecosystem? So the more carriers you have, the the more likely that your software will put together a good combination between the shipper and the carrier. Yeah, the carrier is it's free for the carrier. Uh, you know, for all this, and, and we only allow the smaller carriers in there because larger ones can work directly with the shippers, and that's usually is is the case. Uh, we do help the shipper along, right? So we will look at their freight span. We figure out what uh, providers are actually helping them out efficiently within the network. Uh, then we go through the study. At the end of the day, we identify the freight that needs to be optimized, and that's what we uh, we can plug in our uh, flagship product OTS and uh, continue working through optimizing the uh, the shipper's network. So this really, back to my earlier point that I 
when I first read, I thought maybe this is the digital brokerage. It sounds to me like you're a competitor for brokerages because your software completely eliminates the middle, that, that middleman. Yeah, I don't know if it's ever going to be eliminated or not, right? Because I come from a brokerage background, right? So it's probably going to be a, a space for that. And I know a lot of companies have tried to approach this space and from a lot of different angles, eliminating the broker, right? And the brokers are still there, right? So, but it will limit the need for the broker for sure, right? And, and, and that's just a uh, evolution of any industry. It's time for transportation to, to forego that as well. As you've seen over the course of the last couple of years, we've kind of uncovered, right, all these inefficiencies that were buried inside. Um, you know, previously they were there, right? It just wasn't as visible. All of a sudden we now realize, hey, shelves, we don't see something on the shelves. What's going on? It's supply chain, right? Crucial piece of uh, everyday life, right? But we haven't paid attention to it as much. And I happened to, uh, to come to University of Tennessee back in the day. And that's who started, in my mind at least, right, looking at the supply chain as a standalone unit within the business. And that's what sparked my interest. I'm like, that's the space I want to be in. Very good. So, you know, yeah, I, you know, t- you talk about the idea that uh, brokerages were supposed to be eliminated by now by all digital, uh, by, by digital substitution. And the reality is that most brokerages are not standing still. They're getting more competitive. They're getting better. So uh, it, your your software has to compete against not just digital brokerages, but traditional brokerages that are just a lot smarter and a lot more efficient. Is that an accurate statement? That is probably accurate, but I don't you know I don't differentiate as much between the digital broker and a you know old school broker, right? Uh, just because some of the functions are more automated or less automated, or there's a digital in the in the name, right? It doesn't mean that any of the old school brokers have not digitalized something, right? That, that's that's just the reality. So every one of the brokers is becoming more digital, right? With the technology coming in, the key piece is, hey, we don't have a dog in this fight, right? Meaning that we come in, we connect the two parties, right? Like any other place like Orbitz would or any other business out there, right? And uh, therefore, right, we're neutral. To what happens. Those two parties are the key parties in the transaction, being the shipper that has the load or the shipment, and then the carrier that has a truck and a driver. And, you know, I at, at some point of time may not be a driver anymore, right? But something that moves that freight. Those two things need to be connected. And right now there's just too many hands in the pod. There's too many things going on and therefore it becomes inefficient. All right. So uh, how many carriers are in your network? We we don't disclose that information publicly, right? But we've got uh, AI tools uh, that can reach out to over a hundred thousand carriers when needed. Okay. So some of them are in the network, right? Some of them are already in the network and and shipping freight. Some of them are just in our databases, and we know, hey, when these shipments come up from our customer base, right? The software knows to reach out to these carriers. We don't want to bring them on board if we don't have the freight, right? That's not our goal here. Do you find, you know, this is, this is going to sound like almost kind of a, not a dumb question, but, you know, when I've interviewed people like you in the supply chain who do tools that put together, whether it's a brokerage or some other tool that puts together shipper and carrier, I can't help but think about the carriers on multiple platforms uh, trying to access freight. And at a certain point, do they get just sort of like app fatigue? Do you find that that's a barrier for you that they say, look, you know what, I'm already tracking with seven or eight apps and I've got a good relationship with XYZ brokerage and I'm kind of done. 
Like I get enough freight through that. And you asking me to go on your app, it's just one more and I just can't handle it. Do, do you run into that at all? I mean, I have heard that term app fatigue. It's a hundred percent there, right? Like we were very, I mean, we got a ear to the ground with the carriers, right? As well as the drivers, as well as the shippers, right? In order to connect the two parties, right? You want to consider what's happening on both ends, right? For the carrier, key piece, right? They, they don't want to be seeing a bunch of offers that don't work for them, right? They don't want to be coming to the app where they can find a a, a, free, you know, a piece a piece of equipment or something to move. They don't want to waste their time. They, they have limited time right now, right? Therefore, as I mentioned previously, right, the software is built to actually optimize and go to that right truck at the right time when it's needed, right? Not all the time, not sign people up and, and let them have the uh, just for the sake of having a little app on their phone, right? If they're with, within our network, they, we've got freight for them. We've got the shippers they work with directly that they haven't been able to do before. And they get paid quickly and efficiently, and they love it. Do they get paid quickly and efficiently by you, or do you have an outside financial party that works with you? It's it's it, We do have the banks, right? They're set up, but we, you know, we all obviously utilize the tools that are out there, right? We can pay within four hours, right? If that's required by the drivers or by the, by the carriers, it's an option out there, right? Assuming they've done everything that, that's required to submit the paperwork. So, but yes. You know, what strikes me these days is that whenever I talk to somebody in your position, I keep hearing about we pay quick, we pay fast, we pay rapidly. And meanwhile, factoring is growing. I mean, I would think that if you talk about, you know, you talk about brokerages being um, threatened uh, by technology, it would seem to me that rapid payment would really threaten the factoring business. And yet it doesn't. It seems to thrive. I mean, you, you talk about people getting paid in four hours. What, what, is, what does anybody need a factoring company for under that scenario? Yeah, and it's all free, right? Through sleek technologies, it's all free. Now, with that being said, it is a very good observation, a very good point, right? I mean, it, it will happen, right, until somebody, which is the end user, puts a stop to it, right? So here, the smaller carrier goes in and signs up with a factoring saying that we will have to factor all the loads we do through you. If we go through slick technologies, right, we, we, we go through that quite a bit, right? They come to us, they move, they move a load, they can get paid in four hours, but they've got a contract set up with, a, with the, uh, you know, some of the companies out there that kind of force them to do all the loads through factor through them, right? So until there's a push from the end consumer, in this case is a smaller carrier or driver, right, factoring will continue to grow and thrive to an extent. So when your colleague first reached out to me saying, you should interview Oleg, he said that you could give me a pretty good look from the, the ground about what the market is like today. And, uh, well, we know that it's softer. It might not be as soft as some predictions had been, but how do you measure the strength of the market from your perspective, given all the data that you get? Are there any particular numbers you look at and you say, ah, that shows a strong market, that shows a weak market? Yeah, a lot of the uh, times, I mean, it's not it, it's beyond just softness in, in a certain part of the country or softness in the economy and so forth. Right. There's different factors that we look at. Right. External factors is kind of a thing. Number one. Right. So that could be economy. It could be world economy. Right. It could be uh, crises that are out there, whether it's a war with, you know, Russia and Ukraine or something else that can impact transportation. Right. So everything external. Then you got the U.S. part portion of things, right? What's going on within the U.S.? How how is how is transportation impacted here, 
right? And then we got, you know, fuel prices that, that come in, right? You got the economy in the U.S. specifically, right? You got the weather events, right? Are there any storms that are disrupting? Are there any states that are closed down for COVID or anything else, right? Is there flooding and things of that nature, right? That's, that's kind of as the next thing. And then you drill down into a specific market, right? Now you're looking at Chicago area or Atlanta or in your case, Chattanooga, right? And you start to understand what's the supply and demand of trucks, right? That are coming in and, and leaving the market. It's, it's as simple as that, right? There's just a lot of moving pieces, right? But when you peel the onion and start looking at the grand scheme of things, right at the top, mid-layer, right, U.S. and what's happening with the U.S. and then market-specific, then you can put a pretty good picture of what's what's happening out there. Now, with that being said, transportation has cyclical nature to it, right? So you will see, hey, there's money to be made. There's going to be players entering. Somebody is going to be adding trucks, right? And usually it's not somebody as large as Swift or U.S. Express, right, in your, in your backyard there, right? They can impact capacity as quickly, right? It's the smaller guys, which is thousands and tens of thousands of them out there. Right. All they have to do is go from one truck to two trucks and capacity just double. Right. There's money to be made. The market is hot and it's paying enough. That capacity is going to start to enter. Now, with that being said, it takes a little bit of time. Right. So you got to get the truck. You got to get it ordered. It has to get delivered. Then you got to put a driver in the seat. Right. Make sure that you're ready. Everything is set up. So there is a there is a certain slowdown. So right now, for the previous couple of years, we've seen rates go through the roof, right? We haven't seen rates as high as they've been, right? So naturally, people started to enter the supply and demand once again, right? Like anything else, drivers are entering the marketplace and uh, starting to, uh, that starts to grow, right? Now we're starting to see it go the other way. It's going to take a little bit of time to kind of slow down and uh, get back to to that tighter market, right? And unfortunately, we're gonna we're gonna see some of that softness right now. Unfortunate for the for the carriers, right? Shippers right now are saying, "Hey, great, right? Finally, we can breathe a little bit." So, how much how much of a decline are you seeing? Let's say in your in your carrier network, do you, do you think that your the decline in your carrier network would probably be representative of the decline in overall capacity? Are you are you seeing a decline? There is there is a slight decline that we're starting to see inclinations off. Right, it's not very. It's, it's not like you can see it right away and there's a 10% decline, right? Those are small little increments that are happening every day, every month, every week. And then over the course of time, right, it takes months and sometimes even years, right? That cyclical nature gets back to, uh, to equilibrium, right? And then the market becomes a little bit more tight and so forth. With that being said, any events that are happening within the market, right, easiest one to see was the COVID shutdowns, right? You shut down a portion of the uh, country all of a sudden, or, you know, a specific city, right? Trucks that were supposed to come in there no longer come, right? So now you got abundance of trucks somewhere else, right? What do you do with those? That that market becomes soft, that market becomes too tight. Once it opens up, right, everything gets screwed up. And it takes a while for the supply chain to kind of get back to the, to, to the normalcy. Right now, it's gotten there, right? It got more efficient. Uh, everything is opened up, right? We've been in a crazy market for a while, right? Capacity has been added, and all of a sudden, everything kind of comes together. Um, you know, GDP slows down a little bit, and we see the soft market. Let's go back to kind of what we were talking about earlier, that the, the, the carrier has so many choices. So let's pretend I'm a carrier, and you come to me and say, you should use our service. 
why? Why are you better? I mean, you mentioned the four-hour payment. That's pretty good. But what else? We don't have any hidden fees, right? We pay you quick and fairly, right? You you, you get paid what you see, right? And you know that the shipper is going to be paying the same, right? Like that's that's the crucial part here, right? There's not no, you know, nothing in the middle, nothing that, that gets hidden. You don't have to sit there and think, hey, did, did slick technologies just make $500 off of us or not, right? That's not... That's not the business we're in. Okay, let's. Uh, when I went on your webpage, you had a you had a reference there to Freight Tech 2.0. So, what's in Freight Tech 2.0, and how does it differ from Freight Tech 1.0? <laughs> That's a good one. I got to ask marketing on that one, right? Um, <laughs> as as we work through the uh, automation pieces, right? We uh, we've started with building the software itself, right? Freight Tech, you know, 2.0 would be com- commercializing it, right? Getting it out there, making sure that it actually, uh, uh, the, the, the shippers and everybody else can go out there and buy it and set it up and, and uh, run it through their through their system. Okay. Now, you also offer something here. Again, you, you, you just mentioned it briefly. Your system is called OTS. Your offering, your product offering is called OTS. And you say that you have a zero-risk guarantee. Uh, it's, if you don't receive truckload savings, we'll give you your money back. So what is the benchmark for the savings and how often do you actually have to give money back? Yeah, some of it is a little bit of a secret sauce, right? Usually people, you know, on the shipper side, they'll look at it and be like, wow, that's that's too good to be true, right? I can't be saving money. Somebody last year, right, for instance. And we've had examples of, of shippers Right, literally getting a rebate check with a savings and saying, What is this? We're, we're calling them saying, What do we deposit this? Right, you just got the savings for the last month, and they're like, Oh, we didn't realize there was a case. I was like, well, What were you buying? Right, uh, but usually we haven't had to, to really give anybody um, the uh, rebate, right, on the zero risk guarantee, right, because the savings were there every time. Very good. So, so, so perfect success, Mark. So, all right. So let's say you're sitting down with your software engineers for 2023 and your, your wish list of what do you want your program to do? What do you want your product to do that maybe it doesn't do now? Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot, right. And in my mind, since I get out of school, right, it's, it's ideally, right. What I would want everything to be is it's all electronically connected efficiently and it just moves right and the the network is optimized across the u.s right with that being said you know you have to have huge density right you got to have uh visibility to all the pieces of equipment as well as all the uh, pieces of uh freight that need to be shipped right and then you can have a simple mathematical equation right which ones move first depending on when they have to be there Right to make sure that people or the, the end consumers, right, whoever's looking stores, uh, factories, manufacturers, whoever, right, they get the product in time at their docks, right, being unloaded when they need it, right, like that. I'm looking for for that type of efficiency, right. Anything I can do to help that alone just is 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 what drives me, right, because I see a lot of inefficiencies in this space, supply chain. Um, as a whole, but transportation and truckload transportation specifically. How many people work for Sleek Technologies? Uh, we're at 20 right now. Okay. Let's point out that you are in Knoxville, Tennessee, and that is where you are coming to for, coming to us today from. Yes, sir. I just uh, moved in December, right? 
Tennessee. Oh, very good. Very good. So we want to thank Oleg Janchik. He's been our guest today here on Drilling Deep. He is the CIO and founder of Sleek Technologies. And I will repeat again how they describe themselves. They are a freight procurement automation technology and data provider. So uh, how, how old is the company, Oleg? Six years now. Okay, very good. So anyway, good luck to you in the future. Maybe we'll have you back. Not maybe, we will have you back on, on Drilling Deep sometime in the future. But next time, it's going to be video. There you go. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> you have been listening to Drilling Deep. We are part of the FreightCast family of podcasts from FreightWaves. You can find us on all the leading podcast platforms. I have been your host, John Kingston, and please join us again. <laughs>